0: The title is Employee or Servant, and in the new year, uh, typically we will you know either maybe start a new Bible plan or something like that and um, we wanted to do something different. Uh, the kids and I, and we were just talking, I was like, hey, what if we just read through just individually, uh, do a plan, and uh, kind of take us through the gospels and I I began reading, and when I got to 19 and 20, for some reason, uh, I just, I just got stuck there. I just literally kept reading it over and over and over again. And, you know, in a church like this, uh, you've got people from all different walks of life, people that have been saved for (laughs) as long as I can remember, uh, You know, people that have been saved for 60, 70 years. You have people that have been saved for maybe a couple months. But especially on a Wednesday night crowd, I would think that the majority of people in this room have probably, hopefully, been saved for a decent while. And by the fact that you are here tonight, you are making a choice to say, Lord, I want to put you first. I want to be at church. I want to worship you. I want to learn more about you. And I think one of the tendencies as we try to serve the Lord in the best way that we know how, wherever he's led us, is sometimes, sometimes, and this is where I was convicted personally as I read through this passage, sometimes it's very easy to start to get into, uh, we've heard it described as checkbox Christianity, We've where you start to have a list of this is what I do, or I wake up read my Bible every morning, and then I either go to work, perhaps it's here at this ministry, or perhaps it's outside of these four walls, wherever it is, and we uh, answer our emails, uh, try to answer the text that everybody's uh, given to us. Um, Unless your name ends in Anderson, then I tend to ignore them. Um, Sorry, Kevin. Kyle apparently texted me a while back, and I did not get it, so there's been this running joke, but I sometimes, you, you know how it is, you get a text and boom, 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 it starts to get, just get buried and you never get to answering it. Uh, but no, I try to answer it. But we start to just go through life and we start to get busy. And maybe it's here and working here at the church. And as most of you know, uh, I handle the music here at the church. So I have my list of responsibilities and things that I have to get done for the Sunday morning service or Sunday night or Wednesday, whatever it is. And But we all have the things that we have to do. And it begins to take on this form of an employee, perhaps rather than a servant. And as I was reading through Matthew 20 and leading into it, Matthew 19, Jesus lays it out for the disciples in such an amazing, amazing way. If you have your Bibles, maybe your smartphone, whatever it is, and you wanna turn or get to Matthew 20, that's where we're gonna hang out tonight. But the main passage is Matthew 20, 26 through 28. Let's read that. Starting in verse 26 of Matthew 20, it should be at the top of your sheet. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. It's a passage that, if I had a raise of hands, this is something that all of us have probably read or heard hundreds of times. It's a passage that we've often probably stopped at and just considered and thanked the Lord, just as we did in song tonight, what he did for us on the cross, how he willingly gave his life. But leading up to this passage, so chapter 19 and the entire passage of 20, we see what brought jesus to say these words. And i think if we understand the entire passage and this is not just in Matthew, pastor jim did a whole series on the story of jesus where he went through the harmony of gospel, the harmony of the gospels and we would see that this is recounted in other places, mark and we see parts in luke and really we see this this whole thing kind of play out. We're going to just hang out in Matthew except for in one instance. But There's so much more than just these several verses that are given to us here at the end of Matthew 20. Go back to chapter 19. Again, if you have your Bible, you can look through or read through it at some point. But you would see that Jesus has, he's talked about marriage. He's talked about the kingdom of heaven, relating it to you have to come as a child, the innocence and simplicity of a child coming to that. He talks about the rich man, who totally misses the point of what Jesus is asking and starts to think that he can offer what he has. And then Jesus says, well, you have to be willing to, to give all your possessions. And the rich man says, that ah, can't do that. And Jesus makes that a point uh, to recognize it. it's not about what we give. And the rich man totally missed that point. But hearing that story we read that Peter then asked this question. And point number one is comparison. Look at Matthew 19, 27. Peter, hearing about the rich man, and I, I think sometimes this happens. We, someone is talking, or we hear about somebody that maybe got a promotion, or maybe somebody has just made an incredible, I don't know, got a, some new gadget, whatever it is. And we, then we begin to think, huh, Wait a minute. What about me? Maybe your coworker got a promotion. Maybe you've just been running in circles where it's like, "Good night. I have absolutely nothing. And what about me? Well, Peter, I, I wonder if as he heard what Christ was saying, he's like, "Wait a minute. What about me? Well, look at Matthew 19:27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, "Behold we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? So is it an innocent question that Peter asks? I think we could make the assumption as a follower of Christ, as a disciple, Peter, as we know, was very willing to just spout off and say whatever was on his mind. Uh, Perhaps this was an instance of this or perhaps this was a, no, Lord, well, no, seriously, we're following you. What about us? And Jesus, as we see throughout Jesus' life, answers with respect for Peter. But Jesus knows something that you and I don't. He knows Peter's heart. So when he answers Peter, he knows there's something more behind that question. But he does answer their question. He assures Peter that because of what they've done for him, that they will sit that they will reign with Christ, they'll judge Israel, and that they will be rewarded for what they have. However, did Jesus detect that there was something at the root of it that needed to be addressed with Peter's question? And look at Matthew 1930. We're skipping a few verses, uh, but Matthew 1930, he throws this curveball that we're going to see repeated. Matthew 1930, "But many that are first shall be last." and the last shall be first. So we have this rich man that Peter has now heard, right, about. And then Peter asks this question and then Christ assures him, okay, no, because of what you've done, you will be rewarded accordingly. And then he ends it with, but the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Do you ever sometimes read something in God's word and just think, huh? Like that just goes so contrary to what maybe we just read or maybe we just heard. But yet Christ again knows Peter's heart. And then he goes into this parable where we're gonna hang out into this section that I believe gets to the heart of the matter. Look at Matthew 20. And I love this story. And the great thing about God's word is God knows our heart and he knows what we need. He knew what the disciples needed to hear at this exact moment. And he teaches them as only he can do. Matthew 20, verse one. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. Now I wanna set the stage for this. Um, We all have probably had somebody or maybe we've been the people that have gone and helped out at somebody's house, or maybe we've hired somebody to work at our house. That's what he's doing. He's hiring people to work in the vineyard. And as it would be uh, at the beginning of the day, if you were to read on all throughout Matthew 20, you would find that he hires, he goes out, he finds these people and says, hey, will you come work for me? Will you work for me for a day And I will give you one denarius, one day's worth of pay. And these people that are sitting idly, as we would see in scripture, they are looking for a job or maybe they're not doing anything and someone approaches them and says, hey, will you come work for me? And these people say, sure. I will work for you if you pay me this much. Okay, now jump on through Uh, Matthew 20, if you could read, if you wanna read on your own, that's fine, but let me just give you the synopsis of what happens. This, this, the one responsible is now gonna go find more people. Six o'clock, he finds his first, nine o'clock, he goes and finds a few more and says, and notice this difference, he says, I'll pay you whatever is right, okay? Then he goes out at uh, 12 o'clock, three o'clock, and then he goes at about five o'clock when there is one hour left in the day, finds the last few people, and then we hit six o'clock. Ding. I can't even ding properly. The, he hits the end of the day, and now it's time to get paid. And this is when our flesh, my flesh, would be like, uh-uh, that is not right. Do you ever see an injustice? Do you ever see something and think, ah, that, that, that's not right. That is not right. Because what, what does he do? Well, look at Matthew 20, verse eight. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. I want you to picture this. You know, we all, Uh, a lot of us probably have direct deposit, right? So if we work for somebody, uh, the check gets deposited into our account. Um, But it used to be paychecks, right? And they would hand out paychecks. Imagine a line of people on whatever day you get paid and uh, you're getting paid and everybody is lined up. Except in this instance, some of you started at six in the morning and some of you started an hour ago. (laughs) And standing there, with actual cash is the same amount of cash for every single person. And at the beginning of the, guy, of the line is the guy who worked for one hour and he gets paid one day's worth of wages. Then the next guy, then the next guy, until at the very end is Mr. Faithful. He showed up at six o'clock, worked all day and walks away with the same amount as the guy that worked for an hour. Is that fair? Is it fair? No. no one has an answer? That's fair? That's not fair in my book. I'll just tell you that much right now. That's not fair. By our human standards, that's not fair. If any of you think that that's fair, then please come work. Or You'll be the best employee ever, let me tell you that much, because you're going to work for basically for free. <gasps> But no, it's not fair by human standards. We look at that and say, man, something smells here. But that's the way I think the disciples viewed it. But Jesus wasn't trying to draw a point of comparison in regards to the pay that the person was given. He's trying to say to them, what's the heart of the matter? Now, notice the people that begin to work at six o'clock have to sign a contract. He says, will you work? They say, we'll work if you pay us this much. The next groups of people, he says, I'll pay you what I want to pay you. And the people just come work for him. What are you as a servant of the Lord? Are you an employee or as we're gonna see later in the passage, are you a servant? What am I? Am I an employee for Christ or am I a servant? We are blessed to live in a society that is probably the richest society the world's ever known. Um, We are blessed to have so much in this country that uh, is based on a capitalistic society. If you work hard, you can usually earn a pretty good living. But in this society, we live for ourselves or I should say it's very easy to live for ourselves because we're rewarded for that. If I work hard, if I just grind it out, I will climb up that corporate ladder. I will do this, I'll accomplish that. Whatever it is, that's the American way of thinking that of the employee system, right? I worked hard for that. I'm not volunteering to work for my company. I worked for that. So give me my money, right? That's kind of the society, and it's becoming even more so. That's the society in which we live. But we've missed the heart. We've missed the heart of the issue, and we've missed the heart. A lot of us have said, Lord, I will serve you if. Or, Lord, because I've served you, will you please how many times, I, guilty as charged, I will say, Lord, bless our family. How many times have we prayed for God to bless us? And I don't think that that's wrong to pray for that when we also need to be praying for God to use us. Not just bless us, that's for me. But to use me is a completely different thing. When I ask for God to use me, I'm saying, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. Not, hey, I've done this for you. Now, please, bless me. Give me something that I would enjoy. Like, I've given you this much, then eh, why don't you give me a little bit back? Okay, now we're back to a contract rather than I'm willing to do whatever. And whatever you want to give me, I'll be okay with that because I'll trust your judgment. Look at Matthew 20, 15 through 16 and look at what these people who have received a fair's wage or a a day's wage, what was fair by their contract, okay? They agreed to it. He didn't break the contract. Matthew 20, 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine I evil because I am good? He's saying unto them, wait a minute. I kept my end of the deal. Why are you complaining? Just because I choose to be generous with someone else? And there's, a, there's a, uh, another application, several applications to this passage. We're just gonna go with the kind of, the big one at the moment. But the point is, do we criticize the person who's being generous with what they're paying us or giving us in this instance? Sometimes we can be. We look at God and say, <laughs> I have been doing this a very, very long time. And it's about time that I just need to kick back a little bit put my feet up and let other people do it why why can't i just sit back right isn't that human nature especially because we have what do what does most of the workforce do work 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 work, so that they can retire right that's what and again you know what that is it 's the system in which we live society, and again, there is nothing wrong with retiring or that 's not my point, but in the Christian life, do we sometimes adopt the same mentality of i 've done this for so long that 's it Lord now it 's time for you to bless me. We might have missed the point at that now, what I will say, and this is the unfortunate reality of this passage, some people have compared this to uh, salvation. And I think that is 100% wrong based on the clarity of the gospel. And it is sad when people take clear teachings of scripture and try to add works into the salvation message. That is not what this is about at all. Um, also, some people have tried to say that Uh, This is about rewards in heaven, but the truth is we know that Christ has said that he will reward us according to our labor. So it's not like, oh, all of us just get the same. No, no, no. Christ wants to reward us. He's addressing our attitude, our heart for service in this passage. The problem is comparison. What does Philippians 2, 3 through 4 say about that? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Verse four, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Did you know that the people at the end of the line that were watching the people at the front of the line, had they not known what they were paid, they wouldn't have cared they would have assumed they got less. And the truth is, if we'll just stop looking around at what everybody else has or gets, then we'd stop comparing. It is human nature to compare ourselves because it either makes us feel better or it makes us feel worse, one or the other. But let's stop comparing. Stop comparing to everybody around us And scripture says to go one step further. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Meaning, let's remove my own feelings from the equation. And rather than just looking at my things or stuff, it says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Take my eyes off what I have and focus on other people. Or perhaps a better way to say that is, Stop looking at what I don't have. Ignore that. Turn our eyes to somebody else. Now, if you look at this passage as we continue along, so now we've taken this this parable that Jesus has given, and then Jesus interjects this portion, Matthew 20, 17. And Jesus, as only he can do, and the power of his word is he has a teaching, and then he says, why is that important? Matthew 20, 17, through 19. And Jesus going up to Jerusalem uh, took the 12 disciples, not in your verse sheet. I'll just read it. Apart in the way and said unto them, behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the son of God shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. And they shall condemn him, condemn him to death. And they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and discourage and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. So in the middle of this story, That Jesus is told, he then tells the disciples what he is going to do. He's going to be crucified. There's one part in there that I want to draw your attention to. Verse 17, though, he says, took the 12 disciples apart in the way. That is such a a little nugget in there that I think we can all be encouraged by. That Jesus knows when we need to hear something from him. He knows when we need something perhaps more pointed, he knows exactly what we need at the time that we need it. And in those moments, Jesus takes his disciples and says, hey, let's come away and I wanna teach you even more. God may do that for you. Maybe you're in one of those moments where you have just said, man, yeah, he is really working on me. What an awesome God that loves us that much that he is willing to teach us in that way. And then Jesus, we have such a stark contrast between the last part of Matthew 20 because now Jesus has just finished saying what he's going to do. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you've looked at them and it's like, are you comprehending what I'm saying? Like, are you even listening to what I'm saying right now? Because the truth is, maybe they're thinking about dinner or lunch or what they just watched on TV, or maybe they have a burden that they're going through. And they're like, not even focused on what you have to say. It seems like the disciples might have been that way. (laughs) The disciples are standing there listening to the creator of the universe. God in flesh is walking among them, telling them, I'm going to die. They're going to take me and kill me. And then what, What? just listen, think of that context and then go to Matthew 20, verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, what wilt thou and she saith unto him, grant that these my two sons, James and John, may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. I'm just telling you, if I had just told you, hey, I'm going to be killed, and you said to me, hey, um, you want to go get some Dairy Queen? I'd be like, huh? I'm sorry. Did you miss what I just said? Like, that's what I'm going to go through. And the disciples now are arguing about where they're going to sit in heaven. This is a discussion that is continuing from before, if we were to read earlier in Matthew. And it's a discussion that continues all the way to when, during the Last Supper, they're still arguing about this. Where are we going to sit in heaven? It's like, hey, folks, like, we are missing the most important thing. Aren't we guilty of the same thing? I'm guilty of the same thing. (laughs) The creator of the universe died, loved me so much that he gave his son for me. And yet sometimes I look at him and say, well, what have you done for me lately? Right? Or Lord, what do I have to look forward to because of my faithfulness to you? And it's so wrong when we do. But, the truth is a lot of us may be guilty and we are not understanding what Christ is asking us to do or we think we are more capable in our own strength because here's, here's how I know what they said. Jesus says, well, yes, um, it's not for me to decide. Um, and then he talks about what he's going to have to do and he asks them, um, are you willing to do the same? And then the disciples say, we're able, we're able to to a drink of the same cup as you. What arrogance. But yet sometimes I'm arrogant in the same way. We are all fallible human beings that need the love of a savior to guide us and to get us back on track. And that's what Jesus does next. Because in the midst of this, the disciples are arguing, or James and John, I should say. The other disciples are really, really irritated at this point with them. Um, and then Jesus draws this chapter to a close. Matthew 20, verse 26 through 28. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Employee your servant. Have you agreed? Have you bartered with the Lord in regards to your service for Him? Or have you taken upon yourself the form of a servant? To say, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to be a servant. Now, it's interesting that they use two different words as described there. To be great in the kingdom, you must become a servant. To be the best, you must become a slave. Two different Greek words are actually used there. And they're used in very different ways. You see, you have to understand the context of this, uh, when this passage is given. The Romans were in charge. Everybody had slaves. The Jewish people were slaves. And yet... Christ is still telling him, as in fact, if you read throughout the New Testament, he's saying, hey, even as slaves, you should obey your masters. And he draws the correlation here that you need to do what I am willing to do. Matthew 20, verse 28. Look at the last part. And to give his life a ransom for many. You and I were in bondage to sin, right? Right? We're slaves to sin, it was the, it, we had nothing good to offer in and, of our, in and of ourselves. Yet Christ comes, and he sets us free. Look at First Peter 2:16. "As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God, Christ paid a ransom for you and me. Christ has bought us, bought us back and set us free. Look at Philippians 2, seven through eight. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. How can you and I be the best servant for the Lord? Look at the example that Christ sent. He left the glories of heaven to come down to earth. Now, it is not something that all of us want to do. That's, it, it's against our very nature. We like to put ourselves first. But Christ is telling us to live differently. We are to live differently as Christians because of what he has done. The heart of a servant, it's not about me. It's about him and others. Look at John 7, verse 18. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. We can't speak of ourselves. We can't seek our own glory. Look at what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. For though I be free from all men, Paul is drawing a contrast here. Though I be free from all men, Yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. We should use our freedom to bless other people, not for what we're gonna get from the Lord. Our motivation needs to be what Christ did for us and look to other people. I love this quote and uh, sometimes in old English, uh, the words just come out different, but C.H. Spurgeon said it this way. Let us imitate him who was king of kings and yet a servant of servants. Let us follow him who is girt with a golden girdle and wraps the light about him as a garment and yet unrobed himself and took a towel like a servant that he might wash his disciples' feet. Think, would you leave your comfortable home, and, and this is not a contrast to, he, or not a comparison to heaven. Just trying to put it down to what maybe we could understand. In the middle of winter, would you leave your comfortable, warm home to go take care of somebody that was freezing outside, sitting at the end of your driveway? You have to be willing to leave your comfort zone to go help someone else. To an untold magnitude, that's what Christ did for us. He left the glories of heaven to come down and to wash the disciples' feet and give his life as a ransom for you and I. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And you say, I can't do that. Look at Philippians 2 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Jesus. That's what we're told to do. That's a high, high thing. It's hard to even understand how is that possible? There was a song, it was during COVID and we had submitted for hymn requests and this room was empty and people submitted with hymn requests uh, and we sang them during the morning service and it was just such an odd time. But we sang some hymns that quite frankly, I hadn't sung a lot of before. And Patrice Ronkowski had requested a hymn called May the Mind of Christ My Savior. And it was a song I had heard before, but I had never sung. And the lyrics are so incredible. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. Another verse says, "'May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea.'" Him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. Christ came, gave himself as a ransom, but then defeated death in the grave, showing victory over death. Victory in my life comes when I say, "'Lord, I'll be a servant, just as you were a servant.'" I'll leave my comfort zone just as you did and I will give my life for other people not in return for what I can get but because I truly love people that much. Christ was motivated by love for a lost world. John 3:16 says it best, God so loved the world. I wish you all could have been here to hear Pastor Jim's chapel where he talked about what is our motivation? It must come from love, 1 Corinthians 13. It must come from love. God so loved the world, and then it prompted him to action. What do you and I see when we see a lost world? Jared gave a great message That just talked about Jesus' interaction with people. He was willing to go out of his way. He was willing to be interrupted. He was willing to do whatever it took for one reason, not just to help someone in some physical way by either healing, whatever it may be. He provided the gospel. Our love for people must come from what we see in them. Do we see just a person that is struggling with whatever it may be, or do we see a lost person that needs a savior? That's a different response. Christ was motivated by love and gave his life as a ransom for the whole world, but it's something we've experienced. Look at Ephesians 6 as we wrap up. This is in the context of the servant master relationship, and it, in Ephesians it, we are told as servants to be faithful to our masters. We're not talking employees at this moment. We are talking people who are slaves. Okay, not with eye service as man pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. We need to be motivated by the correct heart. The only way that we can ever deal with all the injustices that may or may not come our way is when we realize it's not about us. Lord, what do you want for me? I just want to serve you, however that is. It's interesting that at the very end of the chapter, Jesus puts into action exactly what he's talking about. And I'll just read it from Matthew 20, verse 32 through 34. And Jesus stood still and called them two blind men that they encounter on the road from Jericho. What will ye that I shall do unto you? And they say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And get this, we see this all throughout the New Testament. So Jesus had compassion. Compassion. He had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Let's have compassion. Not because Jesus is going to reward us, though he does tell us he will, and we're gonna be so blessed if we live a life in service to him. But let's not do it for what we can get here on this earth. It's not an employee relationship. It's a servant where we say, Lord, you did so much, I'm willing to do whatever you want. You say, I can't do that. I can't do that. We need, we need to do it through his strength. That's the only way we can do it. Look at that final verse, James 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. That word more in that verse right there, he giveth more grace, that is the same root word that we find in whoever will be great among you. You could put in that spot, he giveth great grace. Not just grace, you know, to some small degree, whatever uh, we think we might need. No, 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 no. He says, I'll give you great grace grace. I will give you exactly what you need if you will simply do what the next part of that verse says. Be humble. He gives grace to the humble. True greatness is only possible by great grace. It is never a matter of our own strength and power. We must rely upon his strength and be motivated by His love. It was never about us to begin with. It wasn't about a paycheck. It was about love. So as I sat and read this over and over, you can't help but think Lord, what's my heart? Search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. The Lord knows all of our hearts. Let's line it up with Scripture. And let's have the mind of Christ who is willing to give his all. If he was willing, may that motivate us to be willing to interact with a lost world that needs us more than ever. And as I look around, I think we're going to be faced with some interesting interaction. Because you know what? That does require that we go to the unlovable, it just does. That's what Jesus did for the sake of the gospel. Now, you may be sitting here tonight and say, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't have that relationship. I don't, you, you talked about Jesus coming and giving his life as a ransom and paying my sin debt, setting me free from the bondage of sin. What does that mean? It's that verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And here's the greatest part, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Love gave and we can receive because we have nothing to offer. Not before salvation and after salvation, we can't do it in and of our own strength. Not for salvation, but because of service. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. This confirms that for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you're sitting here tonight and have never realized or put your trust in what Christ did on the cross, you as a sinner saying, I can't save myself, That sin has separated me. I put my trust in what you did on the cross. I accept that free gift of salvation. We become a child of God. And it's through simple faith that we can know that we have eternal life. That's what Jesus did for all of us. May that motivate us to serve him.